Hello, welcome to Cherry Beckert's GovCom podcast, where we discuss current government contracting trends, compliance matters, and best practices to guide federal contractors forward. My name is Eric Poppy. I'm a managing director with Cherry Beckert's Government Contract Services Group. And today we are continuing our series on the cost of county Sanders. Um, and with me today is Jeff and Martin from our GovCon consulting team. Jeff is a senior manager with 14 years experience at DCA and Artin is a manager with uh, 15 years of experience at DCA. So, you know, we are going to be, again, continuing our series on the cost accounting standards, talking through, uh, you know, really just building off the last uh, podcast where we walked through and gave a general overview of what the cost accounting standards were, uh, what are the general requirements from a very high level, and, you know, when it applies to a contract. You know, and today we're really going to be focusing in on you know, if you're a government contractor and you're a emerging GovCon, um, and it doesn't matter which industry you're in, if it's manufacturing, if it's professional services, technology, aerospace, defense, um, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, at some point as you grow out of being a potentially a small business and you are then full, um, competing against full and open, the cost accounting standards are going to start coming your way. Um, so, with that, you need to have a basic understanding of the cost accounting standards, and um, you need to understand what the impact is when you are bidding and negotiating contracts. Uh, additionally, you need to be you need to understand when you're required to comply with CAS based off those flow down co- uh, clauses in the prime contract. So, Jeff Arton, thanks for joining me today. Definitely glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Jeff, you know, let's just jump right in. Can you recap a little bit, uh, just for those who might not have tuned into our last podcast, just talk a little bit about the cost accounting standards, what's the difference between full versus modified, and we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So, as we kind of mentioned in our last podcast, um, there are 19 CAS standards, and having full CAS coverage means that you need to comply with all 19 of those standards that are in effect on the date of your contract award. And what really triggers full cast coverage is when a company receives a single contract award of $50 million or more, or when a company receives any non-exempt contract award when having $50 million or more in net cast covered awards in a in the preceding cost accounting period. So those are the triggers of when you are full cast covered. Now, modified cast coverage applies when a company receives a $7.5 million non-exempt contract when the total net cast covered awards in the preceding cost accounting period are less than $50 million. Now, some of you have probably heard the term trigger contract. So that's what that $7.5 million contract is. It's called a trigger contract since it triggers the requirement for cast compliance on all subsequent cast contracts over $2 million within that same period. So the good thing about modified cast coverage is you don't have to comply with all 19 standards. You only have to comply with four, which are CAS 401, 402, 405, and 406. So let's jump in right there. You know, really CAS 401, 402, uh, since those are really the main areas that we get questions from clients or from prospects uh, and really try to help companies get established to be able to maintain their compliance or meet those requirements. Um, Artin, can you just kind of walk through what are those fundamental requirements for CAS 401, 402, and what's the difference? Okay. Uh, so the purpose of the standard is to ensure that each type of cost is allocated once and only one basis to any contract or other cost objective. 
Um, so the fundamental requirement is that all costs incurred for the same purpose in like circumstances are either direct costs only or indirect costs only with respect to final cost objectives. Um, so there is some nuance there. Um, so for example, with uh, travel, uh, you might have instances where direct travel for direct employees um, may be charged direct, but travel for indirect um, employees would be booked to the indirect pool. So there's a little bit of gray area and that's where you know we can kind of help out uh, contractors kind of navigate CAS 402. So taking a step back on CAS 401 and 402, I feel like we get a lot of questions from um, clients and companies that we talk with that, you know, they say that, hey, they received a finding on CAS 401, it led to CAS 402 or vice versa. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like a lot of times it's a disclosure issue and then they're not following their practice or they're not estimating their practice or maybe, um, they are estimating at a higher or lower level of detail than actually they're accumulating. Any thoughts, um, Artin or Jeff, on you know where there are a lot of common pitfalls with CAS 401 and 402? Yeah, uh, I would say one of the primary problems involved with the implementation of 401 relates to the consistency of the level of detail provided um, when estimating contract costs and then accumulating the cost. Um, so typically, uh, greater detail in accumulating in accumulating the cost um, is is they would be compliant with 401. Um, but when we run into where we find people running into issues is where the estimating is reported at a greater detail than how they're actually accumulating the cost. Okay. Now I, I feel like there's a lot of overlap between the FAR cost principles, having an approved accounting system, and then the cost accounting standards. You know, what are some commonalities between the three? And is there anything that contractors may already be doing to really help them become CAS compliant? Yeah, definitely. So we run into this one pretty often. So I'd say, you know, the majority of, the, of our clients are very familiar with the FAR cost principles. A lot, you know, if you do cost type um, contracting with the government may have an approved accounting system or you may have gone through the SF-1408 pre-award survey audit that the government conducts. Um, but there is a lot of similarity between the requirements in those two and CAS 401, 402, and 405. So I know we haven't touched on CAS 405 yet, so I'll cover some of those similarities on 401 and 402. Um, so the first is proper segregation of direct and indirect costs. So this is a requirement of the cost principles. FAR Part 31 you know, identifies exactly what direct costs and indirect costs should be and how they should be treated. This is also a requirement of the SF-1408 and an accounting system. And then additionally, CAS 401 and CAS 402 both identified that direct and indirect costs need to be segregated. Another one is that there should be logical and consistent method of allocation of indirect cost to intermediate and final cost objectives or final cost objectives. So that's listed in CAS 401, 402. It's also part of FAR and it is also part of the SF-1408 accounting system survey audit that they do. So you want to ensure that your indirect costs are accumulated in logical groupings based on benefits accrued to intermediate and final cost objectives. So for me, and I know we touched on this a little bit, that the biggest difference from CAS 401, which this is where we see you know, our clients and other contractors get into trouble, um, as CAS 401 does differ from FAR cost principles and an approved counting system in the sense that 
estimating and accumulating costs need to be in a consistent manner. So FAR and the accounting system don't necessarily touch too much on estimating costs. And really where you want to focus in on is your proposals and your BD personnel really need to ensure that estimates, and this is kind of a best practice that I say, estimates should be supported by actuals in the same level of detail that they are proposed. And this would help to ensure that, you know, if you're using those actuals to propose your estimates, that you're using the same level of detail from one to the other. As Artin touched on, you're able to accumulate in greater detail, but you should not estimate in greater detail. So kind of a simplified example is, is labor that I always use. So if you're proposing labor, you should be proposing labor um, at the lowest level of detail or the same level of detail that you accumulate your data, but not any lower. So if you're accounting system and you accumulate detail labor transactions and post them, you know, in the in the aggregate at at kind of a a labor category level, but you estimate it at a lower level. You estimate specific by a task level, but don't accrue it at that level um, or don't you know book it or accumulate it at that level is where you can kind of get into trouble. So that's kind of where you want to ensure that you have that consistency. You know, just to, to add on to that, I feel like I've, I've seen too, if companies are using inconsistent um, you know, salary bands or an average salary to try to book to their, uh, and they're actually accounting system, but then they use actuals in a proposal, you know, things like that, where just any type of inconsistencies where trouble can kind of happen. Um, you know, you know, with that, we you mentioned really briefly the two other costs or CAS standards to be aware of when you're modified. You know, those are CAS 405 and 406. 405 accounting for unallowable costs. You know, this this standard is very closely aligned with FAR Part 31. Um, so we're not going to go into it too in-depthly here. You know, just a general overview real quick. Anything fun, jokingly, can't bill it to the government. Um, and with that, you have costs that are expressly unallowable um, or mutually agreed to be unallowable, uh, should not be include, uh, included in any type of billing claim or proposal to applicable contracts. You need to also consider um, any type of uh, directly associated costs um, that those might be unallowable too if the nature of the cost underneath that is actually unallowable. So here I think a good example is maybe reorganization costs. That's an unallowable cost. But if you bring in a consultant and they're part of that too, and there might be some meals or entertainment that's associated to that activity that is unallowable, those costs are also unallowable. Um, and the, the costs um, which are stated to be unallowable uh, in a written decision by a contracting officer is also incorporated here. So, you know, this is just a, the, the third standard of modified CAS coverage. And to close us out, Artin, do you want to talk about CAS 406? Sure. Uh, so CAS 406 is relatively straightforward. Um, so it relates to cost accounting periods. So the purpose of the of the CAS standard is to provide criteria for the selection of the time periods being used um, by contractors with regard to estimating, accumulating, and reporting. Um, so the standard actually um, spells out what type of uh, cost accounting period a contractor should use, whether it's a fiscal year, um, if it is anything besides um, a, a fiscal year, it needs to be required. It needs to be agreed to um, by the government. Also. There are some other like edge cases that that the standard touches on um, with uh, transitional periods. So um, if you're going through a reorg, or if there's um, if you have business seconds that are going through or going through like M and A, 
and um, you have differing um, costing periods amongst the company and you kind of realign them, um, there's some more detail as far as how to handle those in CAS 406. Thank you. You know, Jeff, do you want to hit on some important things to note about CAS coverage and their applicability for our subcontracts? You know, we I feel like we we see this a lot and companies will reach out being like, hey, in this these terms and conditions or certifications that a prime's asking me to fill out, there are these clauses. Like, what does this mean? When is it applicable? What should companies consider? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a good thing to remember is that CAS in general and CAS coverage is applicable on a contract by contract basis. So we always kind of recommend, you know, keeping track of all your contracts and the applicable coverages that apply, you know, for each cost accounting period to be able to determine what coverage applies to each since contracts can go for many years. Um, so modified cast coverage applies to the lifetime of that contract, regardless of the award of a subsequent full cast covered contract. So if you have an award that's seven and a half million dollars and it's modified cast covered, it stays cast covered, even if you have subsequent awards that are over 50 million that hit full cast. Um, so, however, though, once that full cast covered contract is awarded, any contract that's awarded after that in that same accounting period would also be full cast covered unless you hit one of the exemptions that we covered in our prior podcasts. So one thing to note is cast coverage, as you mentioned, isn't just limited to prime contracts, but it can also flow down to subcontractors. So when a subcontractor is awarded under a cast covered prime contract, cast coverage of the subcontractor is determined in the same manner as the prime, um, you know, based on their business unit hitting those same exemptions. So the cast clauses at FAR 52 require a prime contractor to include the substance of the cast clause in all negotiated subcontracts into which that contractor enters. So this is typically what everyone refers to as the cast flowdown clause. This is what requires that. Um, so if the subcontractor does meet a cast exemption, then they aren't subject to cast. So one of those examples is if a prime contractor um, you know, ended up subcontracting with a small business or the dollar amount was under the threshold that was required, those would be exemptions. And then that subcontractor would not be required to comply with CAS. You know, so so one last thing we want to hit on here as we close out this this series is disclosure statements. We always get this question as well. Do I need a disclosure, a modified CAS cover? Do I need a disclosure statement? You know, one thing to note, disclosure statements, well, not, might not be mandatory for ca uh, modified CAS coverage, it is a very good internal exercise to go through to um, document your cost accounting practices, especially as you're growing. Um, it brings more transparency and can help you identify any potential gaps. Now, one thing to note, any contractor that is selected to receive a cast covered contract or subcontract that's 50 million or more, including the options, you're going to have to submit a disclosure statement before award anyway. So it's a good exercise if you're going down this path to start doing it um, and putting it together. Um, you know, and also it's a lot easier to make those cost accounting changes before your full cast covered than it is after the fact um, because specific rules will, will apply. You know, to close us out here, we first thank everyone for joining in and, and listening into this podcast here at CB. We have several professionals with many years of cast experience that can help navigate these issues. So if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. Um, and with that, Please keep an eye out on the remainder uh, of the podcast on the cost accounting standards, where we'll get into more uh, into a lot more detail on specific individual cast standards, general requirements, and cost accounting changes. Uh, so appreciate you listening in, and Jeff Arton, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.